Well, good morning, guys. Good to see everybody here. I always feel like this is going to fall. Don't judge me. Um, we've been again going through Acts. We saw last week that how Paul was finishing up his um, speech to these crowd of Jews who were angry because he had dared to mention that God had sent him to the Gentiles. And once again, they lost their minds. They tried to start a riot. They tried to kill him. And we saw Paul do something that he rarely has done. You know, he, as a believer, he's been beaten. He's been thrown out. He's been shipwrecked. He's been sent to jail. And all this time, he's a Roman citizen. So according to the law, these things should not have happened to him, but he never really mentions it, not very often. This time, as the Roman garrison, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're going to scourge him. They're going to beat him. And he goes, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. And that triggers the fact that now he has rights. Now they can't touch him. Now they can't do whatever they want to him. Now they have to go through due process. And what, what we really learned here is there's a couple of things. First of all, the, the problem that the Jews had with the Gentiles was they considered themselves better than Jew or Gentiles. And what we've really, really looked at and learned, and this is constant, is every single human being on the planet is equal. That's not just an American thing. When, when they were writing the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, they, they got a lot from biblical ideology, which said God created all men and women equally. Okay, Jesus is the great equalizer. There is him and the rest of us. He is the only king. He's the only one. He's the only creator, and we are then the created beings created all equally. And so there is no better than or lesser than. We all have to go through the same gate. We all have to eat the same bread of life. We all have to trust in the same Savior, and that is Jesus. And we learn that because Paul invokes his Roman citizenship, what it does was it wasn't just to get out of a beating, though Paul probably appreciated that. It was to continue to preach the gospel. It was the continuation of moving forward. Now they had to bring in the council and the elders and everybody else to be able to preach what was going on. So we all within the church, we've learned as believers of Jesus should have the same mentality. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to do, we need to continue to preach the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if you're not concerned with sharing the gospel... You need to examine your faith because God's heart should be our heart and God's heart is for all to be saved and to be able to have a chance to hear the gospel. So now we're going to continue on and we're going to see what happens when Paul is brought before the council and the elders and, and we're going to see what he says and, and what goes on. But before we do that, let's pray again. Holy Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these examples. But Father, we ask you not just to hear the word, but to do the word. Help us to apply to our lives. Help us to learn from it. Help us to learn from the good things that happened. Help us to learn from the bad things that happened. Help us, Father, to continue to be focused on you and do what you want us to do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
So Acts 23, 1 through 3. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, says, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So here's the first three verses of this particular chapter, and there's already kind of a a lot going on. What we have here is, first off, Paul addresses the council and these elders in a very interesting way. He says, men and brethren. This shows he's setting himself up. Again, we talked about equality. When he mentions this, when he addresses the council this way, he's saying, equal brothers, men and brethren. He's considering himself equal with this council. He's approaching them as an equal because traditionally if you approached the council if you approached the elders if you approached the high priest the traditional address is rulers of the people and elders of israel setting the council higher than the people and the pharisees love to be set higher than the people they they actually expect it even jesus points this out In Matthew 23. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. And they love the best places of feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They enjoy their privilege. Now, again, we have to be careful. We don't want to pick on Pharisees because we have to remember everyone in the church, Jesus teaches the exact opposite. Whoever wants to be first needs to be last. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. That's the way Jesus... And look, Jesus is our huge example. This is the king, God the the Son, sitting on the throne of the universe comes down humbly not to be served but to serve mankind to die on the cross for all of us and we are to call to follow his example that if we want to be first we need to be last we need to be servants it's not about us just like jesus taught but again like we talked about last week be careful with this ideology of better thans and lesser thans. Part of the, it's part of the yeast of the Pharisees that, that Jesus warned us about. If you want to take a look at Matthew 16, we've talked about this. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This isn't talking about bread. This is all about teachings and practices of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, our men, Daniel and I's mentors... Um, were talking about when they were coming up and the pastors before them, uh, the pastor Kathy would get up after a meal and she'd start doing the dishes. She'd start doing things. And the the former pastor's wife came up and stopped her and said, oh, pastor's wives just don't do dishes. And she went, well, this one does. (laughs) Okay, again, 
just because Danielle and I or anybody has a title, pastor or reverend or whatever the case may be, does not make us better than or higher than. Like, if you ever hear me say, I hate sweeping, but if I say, well, I'm a pastor, I I just don't sweep. I might say, I hate sweeping. I may not be happy about it, but I'll do it. Okay, and that goes for everyone. We are all equal in this, and we have to be careful because this is the precedent that the Pharisees and the Sadducees created. On top of the fact that Paul is attempting to remind them that he is actually one of them. Remember, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was among these people. He still addresses himself as a Pharisee. And so part of his case is, I'm a Pharisee. I should know better than what you're accusing me of, which is bringing a Gentile into the temple, which is, not, which is against the Mosaic law. And then he says, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day. This is a very interesting statement. But what he is not saying that before God, he's never done anything wrong. He has never sinned. That is not what Paul is saying. He would never say such a thing. That would be contrary to what he's been talking about, according to himself, and what Scripture says, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so remember, the whole thing started with him being accused of desecrating the temple and breaking the law of Moses. This is what he's saying his conscience is clear of. Not that he has not sinned, He knows he hasn't done any of the things he's being accused of. And his life absolutely reflects that. He has the receipts to prove it. He can say, look at my life. I have a clear conscience about what you're accusing me of. And this, again, goes with what Scripture says. We have to remember to be careful with this. 1 Peter 3, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Let your life reflect your faith. It's not about wearing a cross. It's not about wearing a T-shirt that says, I love Jesus, or a bumper sticker. It's how you live your life. And it's the clean hands rule. Don't act a fool and then try to give a defense for your faith when you haven't even been acting it out. And then Paul again begins to have his defense and the high priest orders that he be struck in the mouth which invokes a rebuke by Paul. Apparently for whatever reason the high priest doesn't like what Paul is saying. But the other thing and the fact is that the order to have Paul hit was actually contrary and illegal under Mosaic law. And he quotes partially Deuteronomy 25. If there's a dispute between men and they come to the court, that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, 
Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt, and under certain number of blows. So according to the Mosaic law, if the punishment is to be struck, you have to be found guilty first. Paul has not been found guilty of anything. He's simply giving his defense. Now again, this is Deuteronomy. We're not saying we're implementing this. But at the time, Mosaic law had certain things in place. And Paul is pointing out the contradiction that you're saying I'm breaking the law while in fact judging me as you break the law. This is what a commentary says. The rebuke was entirely accurate and justified. The man who commanded that a defenseless man be punched in the face indeed was a whitewashed wall, a white veneer of purity covering over obvious corruption. The men of the council were supposed to be examples of the law of Moses. The command to have Paul struck was in fact contrary to both the spirit and the letter of the law. So because of this, Paul calls him a Paul calls him a whitewashed wall. Think of it like we call it landlord renovations. You got a cracked wall, just paint over it. You got a broken light fixture, paint over it. You got a broken door, just paint over it. That's like the landlord renovation. That's how they get it fixed. Jesus says something similar when he's talking to the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs. Matthew 23, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now again, I, I don't always like to pick on the Pharisees, even though they mess up quite often. Because this is an issue that happens within the church. Again, your life needs to reflect your faith. This is the hypocrisy that can be most damaging to people outside of the church. When you say one thing and you preach another. When you act one way but then say something else. When your life doesn't reflect what you claim you believe, people will see that, especially today. They will notice. When you only have a facade of righteousness, but you're a rotting corpse on the inside, it will show. And the problem is, is that most people, this problem causes the most people to turn away from the church to turn away from Jesus himself. You know, it, oftentimes it's not necessarily the music they listen to or the games they play or the celebrities they watch, although that can be somewhat influential. I mean, my goodness, because apparently Taylor Swift was at the Super Bowl or whatever happened, all of a sudden now I've seen videos pop up about how Taylor Swift is now demonic. I don't know, I don't know how. I don't know anything about Taylor Swift. But now we're focusing on the fact that Taylor Swift, if you listen to Taylor Swift's music, somehow demons are going to come out of the radio and eat your soul. I thought she only sang about ex-boyfriends. That's, that's, all, that's all I know about her. And yes, 
we, we have to be careful with what we're listening to, with what we're watching. We need to be cautious about these things because you don't want to be negatively influenced by anything, friends, music, whatever. Be very, very careful. But the majority of the time, the church is honestly looking for a scapegoat. I mean, right now it's happening to Taylor Swift, but back in the day it happened to Elvis Presley. He was the cause for everyone going astray. And then it was the Beatles. Oh, my goodness. John Lennon said that they were bigger than Jesus, and so everybody had to destroy their albums. And then it was Led Zeppelin, and then it was Michael Jackson, and then so on and so on and so on. But the problem is the church will condemn that but then turn around and say, but for, forget about the senior pastor who's been embezzling money. Forget about the worship director having an affair. Don't talk about the youth pastor doing drugs and having sex with underage girls. We're not going to mention that. That's not the real problem. The real problem is Taylor Swift singing about her ex-boyfriends. See, again... The real problem is there's most of the time when Christians don't actually act like Christians. There's been multiple people who said, I like Jesus, I don't like his followers. And that is a very dark thing to say. I mean, it's what, for most of, of my time, before I was a Christian, it's why I didn't have really anything to do with church. I mean... Even going in high school, the so-called good church kids in town would come to me and my friends on Saturday night and buy drugs from us and then go to church on Sunday and it's praise Jesus. But they were the good kids and we were the outcasts. And I didn't want anything to do with church. If that's the way it is, then I don't want anything to do with it. I mean, again, but it can be a wide range of, you know, oh, man, I just really love Jesus, praise Jesus, I just follow Jesus. But you know what? F Joe Biden. Okay. I, and again, you may not like him. You may disagree with him. You may hate his politics. You may want to vote him out. Fantastic. But Christians are called to a higher calling. And people will see that. You can't love Jesus and hate people. That's the point. It can go from that to the many cover-ups the church have tried to cover up. And I'm talking about Foursquare, Catholic, everybody has had some kind of cover-up. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to put that off to the side. This is another yeast of the Pharisees that Jesus warned us about because it's more dangerous than you think. Look at Matthew 18. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. You getting in the way of people coming to Christ is a serious problem that God does not take very kindly to. If someone rejects the truth, then so be it. If they see the truth, if they see Jesus and say, you know what, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing, then that's 
so be it. They have a free will. That's fine. But God forbid anyone should reject the truth because of our behavior. We're not called to be purposely offensive. The cross can be offensive to the world. The message of Jesus can be offensive to the world. But we are not called to be purposely offensive. That's why we need to watch our lives and remember that Christianity is not a Sunday-only event. It is something that you live out every single day. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Watch your life. I need to watch my life and my words and my actions. And then we see Paul, he, he gave a rebuke, but he has been found wrong and admits this, his wrongdoing, even to his enemies as we continue in, in Acts 23. Those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So again, take a look at Paul. He immediately realizes he's wrong, and, and this is the, uh, the law that he quotes is in Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. You're not supposed to revile the leader of your people. He admits his mistake to the council and to the high priest, even though they're full of corruption and lawlessness. He still admits when he is wrong. Here's what a commentary says. The Ananias, who was high priest at the time, did not, honor, did not do any honor to the office. He was well known for his greed. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus tells of how Ananias stole for himself the tithes that belonged to the common priests. He did not hesitate to use violence and assassination to further his interests. Later, because of his pro-Roman politics, Ananias was brutally killed by Jewish nationalists. So Paul's words were more prophetic than he realized because in Ananias' final days, despite all his scheming and bribes, were still lived as a hunted animal and ended at the hands of his own people. So here's the deal. Even though Paul was right in giving his rebuke, he realizes in his so-called right, rightness, he has made an offense. And so he does not want to be a hypocrite, like he's claiming that the council is. And he says, you're right, I'm incorrect, I should not have said that. Even to his enemies. And this is what it talks about in Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's a saying, if we all live for an eye for an eye, that would leave the whole world blind. Just because someone does you wrong does not give you license to do wrong in return. 
So admitting when you're wrong even to your enemies can do wonders and even possibly have them come into the faith themselves. Understand that that is always the goal. Even your enemies, even those you don't like. Again, I talked about this. If my father was alive today, he and I were not the best of friends. But if it's all possible, I would pray for his salvation, forgiveness of sins, that he may come to Christ. If it doesn't come through me, if God doesn't use me, I pray he uses somebody else. Same thing with my family. Most of my family I don't get along with. I don't care much about dealing with my family and the things that have happened. But the one thing I will do is pray for their salvation if they haven't found it already. That is the point. And again, that is not me because I'm so awesome and righteous. It is because the Holy Spirit gives me that desire for them. So remember, do not be a hypocrite because you were once enemies of God yourself. And yet, he still sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me. That is the same mercy that is extended even to those of us, those who we would consider enemies. And if they admit they're a sinner like us, repent like us, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ like us, they can be forgiven. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So again, I want to conclude right here, but I want to take a look at what we talked about today. We need to remember the rule of clean hands. Remember to have your life reflect that you have a good conscience before God. Your life needs to be the proof of your faith. If you claim to have faith in Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, then there should be some fruit showing that. And learn the lesson from the Pharisees. Do not be a whitewashed tomb. Only having a righteousness be a facade, but be rotting on the inside. We have to remember to live it out. And then to remember to watch your life and not let any hypocrisy be a stumbling block for anyone coming to Jesus Christ. The worship team wants to come up. I'll have one more verse, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy 4, 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Holy Father, again, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that there's nothing that we can do to earn it. That we are only washed clean by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. But I ask you, Father, to help us to remember to live out our faith. That our righteousness should not be the righteousness of the Pharisees, only on the outside. Help us, Father, Help me, Father, to have the integrity to live out my faith each and every day. To not just be a hearer of your word, but to be a doer of your word. That if I say I follow Jesus, then I should act like I follow Jesus. 
I ask you to bless everybody here. If they don't know you, help them to know you, that they can find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And help us, Father, to be the beacon of hope that is only found in Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. That salvation can only come from you. Help us to remember that that is the message of the church, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. And thank you again for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.